Shooters Connection offers products for competition shooters by competition shooters. With over 80 years of combined competition shooting experience, Shooters Connection is staffed by master and grandmaster shooters who live the shooting sports every day. Every day. We offer same-day shipping. Shooters Connection also sponsors over 100 of your matches every single year. So when it comes to finding everything you need to compete as a beginner or a seasoned grandmaster, Shooters Connection is the only name you need to know. Online at ShootersConnectionStore.com. Welcome back. This is the Hit Factor Podcast. Jeff tried to sneak it in there, but I saw it. We have... Because there's a, a giant countdown on the screen. <laughs> Look. Look, I am on top of the stuff. I'm just I pay attention to my surroundings and you can't slip stuff by me on there. Uh wow. We do have special guests. We have Patient Zero from Area 8. If you have had <laughs> any sort of gastrointestinal issues after your Area 8 championship, mm-hmm. uh he's the man to talk to, Mr. Potato. And the one and only Jay Beal, who we woke up from his nap, but he graciously, <laughs> graciously, he came on to uh, yeah. to join us last minute on the podcast. It's always great to have him and Mr. Jeff Gothen and myself, yes, Jeremy. Uh, so, Area 8, you did shoot. Well, wait, oh, on, hold on. We can't get into Area 8 because we, we do have a question from our Patreon group about... Yeah. Pop tarts, and what is a proper pop tart? Is there a proper way to eat a pop tart? Is it okay. okay to eat pop tarts after like you're like twenty? Like like was there an age cutoff for like pop tarts? Yeah, probably not. Not so much there. Uh, Jeff, do you have do you have special thoughts on like the the pop tart, like the go to pop tart? I know you have thoughts on pop tarts. Like that's no, yeah. we know that. Yeah. So different phases of my life, I've I've had different, like been into different flavors of Pop Tarts. In college, it was the chocolate Pop Tarts, fudge Pop Tarts, mm, and wrong. the best way to eat them is on a plate with lots of butter, and then you put it in the microwave, and so it's it's completely soaked in butter. Um, so that's my favorite way to eat them. It's like also, you figured out layers of wrongness. <laughs> yeah, you start that's... wrong and then you make it wronger. Keep going. I, I don't see like, how wrong I don't... you can be. Yeah, it's not I don't surprising. Think there's but a wrong way. Yeah, I don't think there's a well, wrong on way. On that, you might be right. But, but if honestly. there is a wrong way, you've invented it. Because you know, if if you're in a hurry, you can just open up the packet. You can eat them. If you've got a toaster, you hit the toaster. Also solid. If you've got a microwave so a... and some time. And an awesome, you know, like a show or a movie, and you want to sit and eat it with a fork, and you put them on a plate, and you put a whole bunch of butter on them, and you nuke them. Is the butter so, on the I love top? Is the butter on the top of the yeah. frosting? Okay. It's on top of the frosting. It's not underneath. It's I completely melted in. It's not <laughs> sitting on there. You put the okay. butter on, and then you nuke it. It's completely melted. Okay. I was, I was envisioning... More or less, uh, I was imagining that there was a plate with molten butter and a ever increasingly <laughs> soggy pop tart, sort of dissolving into it, and that yeah. this was your college snack. No, this oh, is yeah. his snack yesterday. <laughs> no, I haven't had done a butter one in a while, though. I would. I just it, it's not convenient right now. But yeah, so How in college we would or some more. We would is not the correct answer. Uh, I mean, strawberry is probably like. 
number three for me. Oh gosh. Oh. And s'mores don't it's... even right. No, nah, I don't think so. Or cookies and cream. <laughs> you know they have cookies and cream now, right? I've it's not an had that Oreo Pop Tart. <laughs> right. No, I haven't tried that one. Just eat an Oreo. Put yeah, some but butter. Pop Tart. It's breakfast. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so that's my experience with Pop Tarts. And it, they're also probably responsible for, you know, the reason that I weigh 190 and not 170. When's your when's we, your last Pop Tart experience? I don't know, probably like two weeks ago. Was it cold out of the bag next to a gas station? <laughs> it was cold out of the bag at work. We have a constant, <laughs> like, free supply of them. Not free, but we have a constant supply of them at work. Like, they're just always available. We're never out of Pop-Tarts. It's pretty dangerous. Is it, like, leave a dollar in a can, or is it a vending machine? No, yeah, it's, like, leave a dollar in a coffee can. Actually, it's leave, like, 75 cents in a coffee can. Do you even do that, or are you just, like, ah, somebody else got this? He'll be like, oh, every fourth one, I'll put in three (laughs) dollars. Yeah, I usually put, like, five or ten bucks in the can. Every few weeks, something like that. So you make sure that it's a never-ending supply of pop tarts. <laughs> yeah, I like I like to keep uh, keep some money in the bank, you know. I like how you make it sound like, yeah, my work just they tempt me with these pop tarts, and they make it so that they're just available all the time. When it's really you yeah. are making sure that you're bankrolling the supply of pop tarts there. Yeah, because there's also baskets of fruit, but you know, when you got pop tarts, <laughs> you got fruit. It's it's an easy decision. Okay, the the microwave is so wrong. Like I you're just you're just very wrong there. Uh the butter is a good call. The there are two there are two correct options with pop tarts. There's the brown sugar, like OG brown sugar, and then there's the frosted strawberries. Like those are your two options. Like the other stuff can just get lost. And the frosted strawberry, yes, it's it's a it's a delightful experience because you toast it. It should be toasted, not in the microwave. Toasting is the proper way to do it. After it has been toasted, you spread a light spread of salted butter on the back. And then, and then that kind of melts in and you've got the option of if you want frosting down or you want butter down, what, which one you want to meet your tongue first. You just, you get to choose at that point. It's just, it's just kind of what mood you're in. But you got the option so to go either way. you the top way. of your mouth on molten frosting if you go butter side first? Uh, not necessarily. It depends on if, how precise your toasting is. If you're good at it, then you can get it just the right temperature. So what I'm hearing is it's a skill issue. You heard yourself. Yes. Yes. Sure. Exactly. It's a skill issue. Uh, Do you feel the, the same way about pizza? If I burn my mouth on pizza, is that a skill issue? I feel like I've taught my two-year-old if the pizza's hot to blow on it so that it's not so hot, too hot to eat anymore. And so, she's yes, kinda, okay. So She's got that down pretty well. So, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think most adults should be able to get that. Good, no? It's good to Sorry. know when I'm being judged. I, <laughs> look, no, there's no judge. There would never be any judgment coming from me. Like, I wouldn't. 
I would never do that. No, no, that's good uh, too. And and toaster strudels, I would John and and said toaster strudels are better than pop tarts. Uh, I would say the toaster strudel is on par with the pop tarts, but the toaster strudel is actually a cooking challenge because it's really hard to not burn it on the edges and still get it warm all the way in the middle. That that is a there is a challenge mm-hmm. with the toaster strudel. I, I will admit to that. Yeah, Have you and perfected either of these dishes, Jay? No, like whenever I only had them when I was like a child, and I was at my friend's house. <laughs> and they're like, "I was like, what's this?" And I don't even really remember eating them, other than you know, I I can picture them in my mind. And strawberry sounds pretty wow. good. Oh strawberry gosh. is good, undoubtedly. Uh, I don't think I've had them since. I was probably in the last 15 years. I don't know that I've had more than a box of pop tarts, but as a kid, I had a lot of oatmeal and flaxseed cookies, cookies. Um, So things like pop tarts, once I had disposable income, I had many, many (laughs) turns out if you teach your kids (laughs) to eat really healthy, nutritious food, you basically damn them to a decade (laughs) of eating like Jeff. I love I'm eating like Jeff. That's great. But also, I grew up eating all that stuff. So somewhere in there, there's a balance. There's kind of no way around it. Yeah. But I also had a lot of strudel, and Jeremy's right. There's there's a challenge there. And trying... Well, there's a challenge in three things. Like, you want to get the inside to where it's not frozen. Mm-hmm. You want to get the outside to where it's not burnt. And you don't want the inside to just destroy your lip. Like, you don't want the yes. inside to be lava temperature. Yes. So, there's a lot going on there. But, yeah, I ate a lot of those as a kid. A lot. My mom would buy them. And I don't even know if my sister ate them. But I would eat, like, just, like, the whole box. Like, for breakfast. In one setting? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you eat competitively with your siblings when there was tasty food around? No, I mean, I just have an older sister, so. Jay, did you did, right? Yeah. You oh, and Nick, yeah. like, there was, like, junk food in the house somehow, and so it was whoever could eat it all first. Yeah, totally. Or, like, you know, even cereal on the table, it would be, like, the box, and we'd be, like, fighting over it. And then our poor <laughs> sister would just be somewhere in the middle, and she would, we just, we're so mean to her, and, yeah, maybe eat <laughs> Did you hide it too? If there's like cereal, like you'd pour a bowl and then you'd like hide it behind everything in the back of the cupboard. I don't remember doing that, but I remember my you brother. I I should have done that. Yeah. Uh, you cocoa. get the good stuff and then you hide it. If you can't eat it all in one sitting, you hide it so your siblings <laughs> can't have it. <laughs> cocoa puffs definitely started several fights in my house. I have a a brother that's two years older than me, and yeah, yeah cocoa that- puffs, man, like. You get them when yeah. they're just saturated, but they're not soggy yet, and you can just pound those things. And then yeah. you got ch- and you got chocolate milk to drink once you're done. Like it's oh, those were good. So, did you I'm eat not cocoa puffs I've done in, this, in moderation? What you can do with cocoa puffs is you can pulverize them into cocoa dust, <laughs> pour them in a salad bowl, and fill it with half and half. Just saying. What? I. 
I like half. It's like it's like a nice little milk, milkshake. Exactly. Get we to don't get all your food for a couple of days in a bowl. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And I thought Jeff yeah. was as, as far gone as we could go, but no, there are other. The, yeah. The cereals were the same way in my house. Uh, it would be like a box of cereal was like a one and a half breakfasts, essentially. Yeah. yeah. It was four boxes a week for us, pretty much. Yeah. Which is ridiculous because cereal is expensive. I feel like it was less then, but I think it was more of a expedient. How can we get as much food in our kid's mouth as easy as possible? That was really the only consideration. Right. Yeah, that wasn't really our consideration since I was homeschooled. So. Oh, you were homeschooled? Just like, I could yeah. just like sit there and uh, you know eat cereal as long as I wanted to. <laughs> Yeah, you don't have anywhere to go. You can save the breakfast table for as long as you want. Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, I should have stopped eating a long time ago, but oh well. Such great habits. Started <laughs> started young. Start young. Okay, speaking of all of these great, uh, great things that we feed our bodies, potato was at area eight this year, and you had a. You had a challenging match, maybe maybe the most challenging match of your career. It sounds like of your shooting career. Would that be like a fair assessment? No, no. Wow, no. I had no gun problems. Gun worked flawlessly. Yeah. Oh, just, nice. Just other. You got to visit the. I, I assume you you discovered how clean the porta potties were. I did discover how clean the porta potties were. I didn't get sick until towards the end of the match mm. and I came up with every excuse other than being sick. So I had heat exhaustion, I was dehydrated, I had low glucose. And, you know, I was feeling really fuzzy and disoriented because, you know, obviously blood sugar. I was feeling nauseated because mm. of the, you know, sodium potassium imbalance. I had so many things going on that weren't um what was going on? Are those normally then, issues for you that that you would no, go certainly to? Certainly not when it's eighty degrees and not <laughs> <Okay>. particularly. <laughs> but I was so in my defense, I was sick enough that I was no longer making good decisions, including about recognizing that I was sick. And I was staying and traveling with a buddy of mine who's a physician's assistant who was sick with the same thing and who came up with the same stupid theories. Oh. Um, PAs, nurse practitioners, us, they don't know anything. You got to get a real doctor. Mid levels <laughs> know everything. Doctors know nothing because they don't no. deal with patients anymore. Mid, I know your wife's a mid level, so you're, you're making a joke, but mid levels are like <laughs> my jam. I only want to talk to mid levels. Keep me away from the MDs. Um, they don't know how to treat people. Uh, but yes, yeah, so we didn't realize we were sick, and, and then we went to a horrible chain Mexican restaurant. Oh, no. And and people were eating and drinking. I couldn't eat. I didn't feel hungry because I was so dehydrated. And so I had a strawberry lemonade and, I don't know, four or five tortilla chips. And then I had, like, the saddest event outside a chain Mexican restaurant ever. Because most people who have that series of events have had a really happy time for the last yeah. couple of hours, yeah. right? Like, yeah. there's a couple yeah. of pitchers of margaritas to contribute to to my exploits. Mm. But no. I did it without the margaritas, without 
the good times. Um, I, I returned. Mm -hmm. I was that sad person outside the chain Mexican restaurant in a strip mall in Pennsylvania, uh, <laughs> puking his guts out, uh, trying to get as far away from people as I could. I had about three seconds of warning. So I sort of half sprinted right. about 10 yards away and found a patch of grass where I wouldn't get hit with the backsplash. Hopped in the car to, you know, head back to our Airbnb. We made it about two miles down the road and my buddy who was traveling with me is like, we got to stop now. And none of us could figure out how to unlock the, he was in the back seat, how to unlock the back seat because, of course, the guy who's driving the car has kids. Oh, no. No, he made it out. He made it oh. out. I don't know. He, it, tenths of a second to spare. There was not a lot of time there. Oh, my gosh. And then oh, somewhere dear. around midnight, we were both sitting in the living room, unable to sleep because our stomachs hurt so much. And every bit of fluid had left our bodies. And yet somehow our bodies were producing more fluid. And he's like, yeah, I don't <laughs> think this is dehydration. <laughs> yeah. Man, what a yeah. uh, what Good a times. bonding moment! It really was. He's like, you know, I can't think of anyone I'd rather have norovirus with than you. <laughs> so mm. it, yeah. I don't know. I actually had a couple of good things. Right when I was getting sick, I I went and I used the, the toilet, and I came back, and I was on deck. I wasn't even on deck. They were pasting the previous shooter, so I was on the line. So I got called to the line, and. Uh, I did the really long GM make ready um, mm -hmm. because I had just been stuck in a Port of John for a while. And so I do the really long GM make ready and then I shoot that stage very well. And it's actually a stage win for me, right? In, in, in my division. And then when we're leaving the stage, the RO comes up to me, the CRO, and he goes, When you did that really long make ready, I thought, Oh no, it's one of those. But you're actually a good shooter. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! Best. Thank you, thank you. You're, you're actually—you surprised us. You actually know how to shoot a gun. Well, because I did the two-minute make ready, because I really had to sort of drag myself back onto. Now I'm going to run around with a gun and try and shoot targets. Good times. So honestly, my I, yeah, I wonder what he meant by that. that. At all, just my life did. Yeah. So. Like, how much do you think it affected your overall finish in the match? Zero percent. Really? Jeff ran a single mile, and he thinks that basically tanked his area three. Like, he couldn't <laughs> even function. You have, a, like, a sounds like a world-ending virus, and no, no effect at all. It's all in the mind. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wasn't really getting sick till the end of the match. The last two stages I shot, I shot without a lot of urgency, and I do think it affected those. But I didn't make big mistakes. I just, because I felt so disoriented, I just was look at a spot, shoot it twice, look at the next spot, shoot it twice. I just sort of <laughs> shot them in survival mode. And, and nobody ever loses much shooting in survival mode. Not, I mean, it was also a 13-stage match in one day. So I assume most people got to their last couple of stages and shot them in survival mode, even if they were feeling perfectly healthy. Thirteen. Yeah, stages probably so. Probably so. So you you also had some interesting results though, because you kind of like absolutely tanked a stage, and then the very next stage crushed it. So, yes, what what's up with that? 
like how can you how can you have two or three mics and deltas on a stage and then shoot like basically clean the next stage by uh shooting the next stage the way i wish i had shot the previous stage do you know when people are always say you, you've got no but you say oh you got to leave like the bad stage behind yeah my thing is i shoot my next stage the way i wish i had shot the the bad stage mm-hmm. so, so they're not totally that. separate well i made some poor decisions and i sort of it's a pretty common error like i moved my brain off a task before i was done with it so they weren't bad shots because i moved the gun while i was pressing the trigger from hand tension or grip they were bad shots because i moved my brain off the target before i was done shooting it so i shot one good shot i went to the next task and i shot a bad shot and you can't call your shots if you're not paying attention like yeah. you can be the best person in shot calling in the world if you're not paying attention it's really really hard to do uh and so i moved my attention off the targets and they were just at that perfect not too close, not too far distance, where you can miss them completely. If they're really far away. It, it gets a lot easier um, for me, at least. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I dragged my attention off a couple of targets, and well, actually, I dragged my attention off one target, and then I transitioned to a no shoot, and I watched my sight sighting system align on the no shoot, and I pressed the trigger, <laughs> and then I watched, you know, in real time, a hole appear about three inches down below the perf on the no shoot. Uh, and I had a quick makeup, but it was like, yep, you know, I'm still zeroed. My dot is perfectly zeroed because that's exactly where it was when I pressed the trigger. Yeah. Right? right in the middle of that no shoot. And then I had, and I know no, nobody else has ever had this error, but I had the, the thought go through my head of, well, I just shot a no shoot and made it up quickly. I should probably finish this stage really fast. Uh, yeah. That's the smart thing to do, as you should. So after I sent a couple makeups on mini poppers, um, I didn't shoot another target twice. Wait, you went to a paper target and only shot it one time? No, well, I pulled the trigger twice, but the gun was pointing at it for only the first of those shots. Oh, Mm. oh. Yeah. I made the same mistake I had already made in the stage again. And so then I got on the next stage, and I thought, well, that was no fun. Um, and and I was pretty disappointed with, like, the decision-making, not really the execution. It wasn't – because the stage plan was really aggressive where I made all those mistakes, but it was a good stage plan. It was the right way to shoot the stage. It wasn't because the plan was bad. It's because I didn't pay attention to the things that needed to be paid attention to. So the next stage I walked out to and I said, I'm just going to pay attention to what needs to pay attention to. And I'm going to do one thing at a time um, until the stage is done. It was a 29 round stage and I ended up with 28 alphas and one very close chart. And Should I wasn't been going faster. Like, well, I wasn't trying to, I wasn't trying to shoot slowly. I was shooting at the speed I could, I could shoot, but I did one thing at a time. And that was, you know, even if it was pulled the trigger twice quickly on a close target, that was mm-hmm. like one thing. And I kept my attention on it until I pulled the trigger twice. I didn't have to take so, two sight pictures, but I had to keep my attention. Anyway, it's not that exciting. So do you think that stage, that was stage three, I guess? Sure. Yeah, stage three. Do you think that was like that 88%? Was that representative of your skill in that field? No, because that's lower than my overall match finish. Boom. 
<laughs> uh, somebody else came through on that match and just blew it away. Uh, I'm probably on fourth stage. on that stage, but when I shot it, it was a stage win. Um, just a bunch of other people were like, oh, wait, that guy did that? We should be much more aggressive here. Gotcha. No, I mean, I okay. no, I think what's representative of my actual performance is my final percentage. Mistakes he was all. he was ninety eight right there on that stage, Jeff. Oh, what am I looking at? You're looking at overalls, probably. In CO, he was ninety eight and a half percent. No, on I was eighty eight percent on that on stage three. Eighty eight. What are you looking at? He's right. I'm looking at carry optics results. No, just oh, right wait. On this one. Maybe I maybe I need to update it. That I yeah, might have exactly. been looking it's, at that score mid match. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a bunch of people came through on the last day and are are like, "Wait, that guy did that. We need to be much more aggressive here." Oh yeah, but that was yeah. pretty. But that was pretty close for you because it's just just over a percent, right? Like a percent and a half off of your match finish, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If I if if I had shot that on every stage, I would have been ninety five percent on the match. Yeah, yeah. I, I potato. I think you and I are just our shooting issues are probably very similar. Uh, one of the hardest things in the world for me is to accept that targets take defeat. time. Uh, I'm good at taking defeat at this point, uh, but <laughs> accepting that like targets take time, like it takes time to pull the trigger. It takes time for it to recoil. It takes time to pull the trigger a second time, even on like the like five yard open targets. Like if I will just accept, hey, I can't just get a flash sight picture and just go. Like it, it still takes time, even though it's very little time. Just accepting that there's there's time there. Usually everything's a lot better if I can do that. It's just hard to do that. I don't know why, but it's hard to do that. I I, yeah. I agree completely. For me, when I think of time, I think of attention. Um, because I I want to be able to round edges that can't be rounded. That if you don't yeah. pay attention to certain things, you just can't get a repeatable result. Um, certain things just take a minimum level of attention, no matter how fast you do Yep. And if you don't pay attention to them, you're you're not um you're not in control of the result. Yeah, I think the attention thing is something that I don't know, I, but many people have attempted to like I think it gets really confusing, but I I really like the word attention because when you pay attention to something correct, when you pay attention to the correct things in a stage then you get like a really good result. But it's really challenging to put your attention from one thing to another without getting distracted by other stuff. Like you just look at the whole target and you don't put your attention to the center. Um, and they, or you, and then yeah. you draw your attention away before you're done or whatever. And I, and I, I get the same thing on like the further targets. It's way easier because you, you know that you must you like when the target's further away, you put your attention more specifically there because you know that the target is further away. When, when in reality, like what would be great is if we didn't factor distance at all, we just were like, you know, we just bounced our attention around neatly and then shot whatever was appropriate. Um, maybe that's what we should try to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, you talk, I think, 
you kind of bring up an interesting thing that I hadn't thought about just the like the distractions that happen during a stage because yeah your walk through like your visualizations you get through all those like they're perfect there's no like your attention's all exactly what it needs to be and then the buzzer goes off and you miss your draw a little bit and you're mm-hmm. like you're not holding the gun right and so you know and then and then it doesn't recoil correctly so that you know you've shot like it's not recoiling exactly how you want and so then you're that just distracts you then to your next target and then if you're single stack you make a whole bunch of loads and you miss one out of four or something which happens or you overstep a position or like you just i don't know for me it kind of sends you into panic mode a little bit and you can't you can't put your attention where it's supposed to be because it's so many different things are distracting you away from that yeah it just pulls your attention off and so i like i i don't think anyone necessarily knows what the answer is but i think that really good people are so are are much better and you guys have talked about this before like they make a little mistake and then they hide it really quick mm-hmm. but they still make all that like i think we all still make the same mistakes um but they're like that you just swipe, you just sweep it under the rug really quick, and then you're like, "All right, now my attention's back where it should be." <laughs> yeah, but it's so hard to do that because it could it can make you tense. Then, so if you miss your draw or whatever, then you then you start to tense up. You're like, "Okay, well now I need to now I need to start going faster or whatever it is, or you know." Um, so a, a couple stages, two stages before my pretty rough stage, uh, I ran into a position and on entry, you know, I pulled the trigger and I was aware that the bullet had gone at least partially through the wooden upright into a target. (laughs) Um, And I had like the momentary, like intrusive thought of, well, I hope it's not a full diameter hit, right? Because I'm like running um, through this position. I hope it's not a full diameter hit. And so I shot the rest of the stage with no interruption. So I didn't compound the error. I didn't try and go any faster. I paid attention to the right things. I shot the rest of the stage completely appropriately. I ended up with a mic because it was a full diameter hit, but I didn't. I didn't make it worse mm. um, on on mm. stage thirteen. And I, you know, I yeah. got to unload show clear, and that was the first time my brain really thought about it. And so I just yelled back to the CRO who was pre-scoring that side of the target, "Is that a full diameter hit?" And he says, "Oh yeah." <laughs> like okay, right? Like that is what that is. But it was one mistake, and it was like all by itself, and you know, it's still eighty percent on the stage with the mic because one mic just doesn't hurt you that bad if you do everything else right. Like it's not great, but it's just not that bad. But what I did on this other stage is I made one mistake. I had the thought, and then I stopped paying attention to a lot of things. Um, yeah, and I let my attention, and so that's why that was so disappointing. And so then for the rest of the match, it was like I'm just going to pay attention to one thing at a time, no matter what my stuff is doing. Yeah, so I have a fix mm. for it. My this is my recent revelation. You just gotta get mad. You gotta get angry. Yeah, get angry. Yeah, use that use that anger to your advantage. And I'm just that's that's my whole that's my that's my mode of practice right now. It's how fast can I get angry on the practice session? Then I'm just gonna live in that anger. We're just gonna does it help? We're just gonna like, harness it. Pay attention to one thing at a time when you've got that sort of clarifying. Uh, yeah, it, it, it does help you kind of prioritize a little bit, like what you have to do and kind of, I don't know, block out some of those other distractions. Uh, so I don't Jeff know. It's interesting. Matt a lot. 
Yeah, Jeff. I think in Jeff, his head, he's like a permanent underdog, right? He, he's just <laughs> constantly angry. Like that's just he's just he's just ready to yell at anybody at a drop of a hat for anything. Yeah, I mean, so, well, in fairness, anybody or you? I think it's anybody. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it come out several times. Always Jeremy, but there's been cases with other people. But yeah, I mean, I have shot. Frustrated. I don't know if I want to say like angry, angry, but I've shot very frustrated um, a couple of times, and it it is strange how it allows you to kind of tunnel vision in. It's like I don't know. It's really strange, but it does allow you. It gives you. It lends an amount of focus um, that's hard to replicate without that. that emotion. So, I don't know. That's kind of what I was trying to do with the smelling salts, right? Bam! Try to get like kind of make yourself mad. That feeling. (laughs) Yeah, I mean that. When I see people do it in like powerlifting meets and stuff, that's kind of what I imagined uh, that it was like. Is they're hitting that, getting that kind of rage going, and then going in powerlifting. Uh, You know what? What they also do in powerlifting, their their buddies hit them. Well, there's that, but like their buddies start slapping them, hitting them, and stuff. We could try that. Yeah. <laughs> no, you want to try I, that in nationals? I don't do that. I'll hit you. No, it's okay. Yeah. It's like a lot of hitting and and yelling. Yeah. Like maybe Dude. that's what you do before a stage. You get on the make ready, and then you just start like. <laughs> that would be great. Like like just freak the ROs out. Like that's what I do. And then you just like, come. And everyone's like, yeah, you know, he's just getting ready. Yeah. He's about to lay it down. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, so no, I think what, that would be what, interesting. It, what it does for me, I'm, I'll be curious what it will do in a match because I've got uh, Utah State's coming up this weekend. Um, and so I'm just not going to worry. If I get mad, I'm going to be fine with being mad. Uh but it seems like I can grip the gun harder, mm. like when I'm mad. Like yeah. It's just easier for to sure. grip the gun hard. And that's for me. Some people, when they get into a match <laughs> situation, they naturally just grip the gun really hard, like that. Like that's the direction they go. Like they'll just tense up and they'll grip really hard. For me, in a match, mm-hmm. I tend to just not grip the gun at all. It's like it's like mm-hmm. it just any sort of grip work just goes out the window and it's gone. So. We'll try it. We'll see if we'll see if we can kind of stay angry. Maybe that'll help me to just grip the crap out of the gun, which usually is helpful for shooting, especially shooting major. It usually helps. Yeah, it does help. I mean that that feeling. I don't know. It it does like directly increase your ability to squeeze something. <laughs> yeah, like, it's yep. It's strange. <laughs> yep. You guys are kind of wanting me to making me want to get really angry and then test my grip strength, see if there's like a noticeable right? increase. Yeah. 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 Do you have one of those grip grip gripper things, like that measures like the actual weight, so, like to the decimal? Here's yes. the here's the test, potato. Get so the like gripper. Thirty dollars on Amazon. Give it all you got, okay? And then get you a ball peen hammer. And hit your little toe pretty good. 
and then do it again. No, it has to be accidental, though. Like, if you do it on purpose, that's not going to be mad. You, that'll feel just right. stupid. I'll, All right. I'll tell my family Give... to surprise yes. me with a smack yes. with a ball peen hammer in the tongue. No, yes. no. And then no. as soon as they do it, I'll grab the dynamometer and uh, see what the girlfriend's no. at. We'll have, we'll have one of your kids kick you in the nuts. Just surprise. Total surprise. <laughs> Don't know it's coming. Then once you've recovered, you'll be pissed off enough. You should be able to grip no. the crap out of that thing. <laughs> no, I don't think that'll work. I would avoid shoot crushing of the testicles. I would avoid that one. I, I maybe it's like a maybe you can think of maybe you can force it to come up just by a thought of some like for me. I get it just you know if I just think of someone that I don't mm. like or whatever. Maybe I could get mad enough to grip really yeah. hard. Okay, no, on three, we're you... all going to say one person's name that makes us I'm mad not... enough to grip really no. hard. Okay, one, two, three, go, Jeremy. Jeff, oh. It <laughs> 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 was so hard to guess who you guys were going to say. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say Jay, but I didn't get a chance because you were so busy jumping the count. <laughs> <laughs> no, have you guys ever heard the, uh, the interview with Eddie Hall before he lifted the, or I guess not before, but after the fact where he deadlifted the 500 kilos and he talks about like the mental place that he had to go to be able to do that no so yeah he i think he set up like multiple occasions where he met with a uh, psychologist or some sort of hypnotist anyway someone that that could manipulate his mind or help him manipulate his mind and they created like a scenario like a made up scenario in which he could sort of trigger adrenaline and and that like superhuman strength that's what they were trying to go for so before he went out to do that lift he like basically went into like a meditative state and went to that place and then went out and pulled the 500 kilos did he describe what that place was no i don't think he wants to talk about it probably not i mean i that almost sounds. That sounds kind of scary. Like I don't. I don't know if I want to try. I think it to... was pretty. Yeah, I think it was like pretty sadistic, or like something was happening to his family, or something like that. It was. I think it was yeah. not. Not a good scenario. Yeah. The car is crushing your favorite kitten, and this is the only way you can get the car off the kitten. Yes, it's for sure a kitten. <laughs> yeah, we might shouldn't go that direction with our while we're shooting guns, but. <laughs> right, jeez. Anyway, uh, okay, Area 8 also, there were some interesting results in Open at Area 8. That was probably maybe the most interesting division at that match. Um, the winner was, I honestly, I'm June not Kim. familiar with the, the winner, June Kim. Yeah, he's a good shooter. Great uh, I'm just not. I'm just not familiar with them. Is I assume is area eight his area? No, he's uh, uh last I knew he could be in down in southeast now, but he used to be Las Vegas based. Is that still true, Jay? Oh, okay. Uh, I actually, I'm not sure. I'm not but, sure. Um, where... He was a carryoptic shooter. Yeah, he was, um, did very well in carryoptics and picked up an open gun less than a year ago at Dragon's Cup. I think he was. Third or fourth, he was right up there. Um, oh, he's in the won, mix. Yeah. yeah, he won 
at least one or two level twos this year in open. Okay. And he's, okay. he's been up towards the top at the area matches he's contested. So he transitioned from carry optics to open very, very naturally. Yeah, it wouldn't be surprising to see him in the top 10 at open nationals for sure. Um, yeah, that's coming up. That's going to be only a week after this comes out. So we will have to do our predictions next, probably next podcast. But because I have not thought about that at all for this one. But so June Kim, or yeah, June Kim won. KC, which this is the first match I've seen him shoot open in in a long time. He was second at 99.79% or three points behind June Kim. John Vlieger was third at 99.52%. Seven oh, you're in, points you're in the overall. Behind. Um, in, oh, in the, I mean uh, the overall. Open, it's 99.8 for Casey. He's uh, yeah. two and a half match points off. Yeah. Sorry. I thought I clicked on it, and I, I didn't. No, you're golden. And, and the, the great thing about that is the three of them shot on three different days. So Casey shot Friday, so those results mm-hmm. were in. And then June shot Saturday. And those results were in, and, and John shot Sunday with uh, Chris Tilley and Christopher Gellner and Aaron Edmonds. Yeah, and Chris Tilley was at 98.4%. Like, he's only 25 points away. Christopher Gellner, which, again, I'm not, I was not aware of Christopher Gellner. Obviously, he's a fantastic shooter. He's at 97.3%, uh, 37 points off. And then Aaron Edmonds is, is 94.4%, about 77 points back. So, yeah, the top three, really top four, but the top three were super, super close. I mean, one, Crazy. really, if any of them had a miss, uh, the miss would have made the difference in the top three for the guys that didn't win. Yeah. Uh, but the interesting thing, Potato was being Potato and watching scores, and Vlieger was winning the match going into his last stage, if I am remember correctly. He had... He had to finish his last stage at around 85, 86%, and he would have won the match. He had a 17-point lead going into the last stage. Again, Potato did all the, all the math here. Uh, and so he, what stage was that? Uh, his last stage was uh, stage four, four, which is a, a, a hands-on-wall start um, with a monkey swinger off on the, the back left. And it was a pretty fast uh, um, 24-round stage. Hmm. People were shooting okay. in pretty quick times. So it was one of the highest, higher hit factors. Yeah. Yeah, so he ended up at 80% on stage four. And he had a good enough stage time. He just had a bunch of Charlies and three Deltas, which actually there's a ton of Deltas on that, that stage. Everybody had a lot of Deltas. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of, that's tough to go, go into the stage and you just need a solid run and not get solid enough, uh, there. And in fairness to him, it, the only way to be competitive on it was to be very aggressive because you needed, you activated far away from the swinger. You activated from the first position. You had to pick up some targets and then come up to one of the monkey swingers where the presentation sort of has two basic modes and it alternates on either side and it's available on both sides. So um, you had to activate, shoot a bunch of things and then show up and deal with a swinger that you don't really know where it is and how it will present. Yeah. So 
the people who knocked that one out of the park, they hit that position and it was just coming out on the kind presentation. Yeah. And people who were a couple seconds back, they could have done everything else the same and just didn't quite get the time. Yeah, and interesting. I think I don't think those should be in our. I don't think those should be at area matches. Quite frankly, it was, it's predictable enough. Honestly, if you if it just took a lot of layers of thinking, or you could have been like a slightly more conservative and activated and gone right over to it, and then you would have had to sort of step back into a position and fill in. So mm-hmm. I mean. I don't think the match was decided by the monkey swinger. I really don't. So Jason Wood, don't hate me if you ever hear this. Um, I really don't think it was the Target USA swinger that decided it. It, I think it's an interesting challenge. It's not that different than an activator sequence. Um, There's just a single activated target. And so it's how many of these other targets am I going to pick up so I know which presentation it's on. Okay. If people didn't do that planning, it's knowable. But if you didn't do that planning, then you were just going to react. Okay, I mean that's at least if you can plan for it, then I think that's I think that's uh, reasonable. If you if it's kind of a crapshoot of how it's going to present. Yeah, and that can happen with the, just a regular swinger in general. If it's a really slow swinger with it's a long time it's gone for, and you activate somewhere else, and you're like, well, wherever it is over here, it'll be, and then yeah. some. And then you either lose tech two seconds on the stage or you don't. And and that's where it's kind of like, eh, I don't know, you set up the stage so you can at least control the presentation if you want to. Yeah. And, and it sounds like that was even available, so I don't know. If, I mean, if you took it from much farther back, you could have activated, taken two big sidesteps and shot it from far away. I think okay. the people with the sportiest time shot everything and sort of finished in that corner sure. and, it, and it was right there for them on its third or fourth presentation. <laughs> You know what I would love to see more matches do? This is a slight aside. I would love to see matches force a position where you have to activate a swinger. But then whenever you get, like if the swinger's in a different part of the stage, and when you get to it, it's fully exposed. It's just a moving target. Like it's not a, it's not a disappearing thing at all. Like it's not going behind barrels and stuff like that. It's just, a, it's just simply a moving target. You, have, you can shoot it anywhere you want. So I yeah. think that would be kind of cool to see more of that in stages. Uh, just let's just have a moving target where it's not so much a hey, I have to get this, I have to, I either have to double it or I have to, you know, really take a second pass and really add a bunch of time. Let's just make it challenging by just having it moving. I think that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, we saw that at 2022 Carry Optics Nationals. Okay. Um, on a stage and i don't see it that often and it would be so easy because you don't have to set up you know hardcover steel in front of it you just just throw the swinger out there all right yeah yeah super easy to set up and yeah that you kind of take any sort of you can kind of take the timing stuff out of it which is i I think a, a little bit better on a if it's like a field course type thing i think that's kind of better that's just an aside. Yeah, and and hmm. Mike on our uh, Patreon reminded us that Chris, because Mike Mike reminded us because Mike also did this. He pulled a Jeff, uh, where Jeff does like Jeff likes to skip targets and just not shoot at them. Mike did that at Area Eight, but Mike chose to do it on a stage where it was three shots per target, not <laughs> two shots per target. Uh, so obviously the penalty is quite a bit more drastic. 
And apparently Chris Tilly did the exact same thing. I don't know what was going on in that three per stage, if that was a common thing where people were skipping targets there. I don't know. But, it, was, it, was, it was Tilly's first stage. Um, oh. and, there was, and there was also a tuxedo tucked away that you had to sort of reach for. That's a three per tuxedo in the logical last position. And I could mm-hmm. see if you if nobody on your squad liked you or which couldn't happen with Chris Tilly because he's very likable. But if you didn't talk to anyone about it, you could entirely forget that, or there's one other target that you only had to go there for that target. Mm. So that was his first stage of the day. So he began the day down uh, 55 points, three mics, and uh, that was your stage uh, win, Tato. That was, yeah. So I don't want that one thrown out. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that was that was Chris Tilly's first stage. So he starts the match 55 points down, and then he he comes back to you know 25 points. Um, yeah. From the win. Yeah, that's which, that's impressive. Which takes yeah. like some mental focus to then put it together for 12 stages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if it's going to happen, at least it happens on your first stage, not your second to last. You know. That's that's at least good, but uh, and then mm, to yeah. me the other interesting thing in this match was was Aaron Edens. He's kind of he's won a, a stack of matches this year. He's won a stack of area matches. What I was I was like I hadn't talked about Aaron a lot, and Potato had given me a little bit of crap because he wasn't super high in my power rankings, uh, and. Aaron has won a bunch of matches, but kind of looking at him and other people in it, like he won area one, but I think that was the match where Casey was 95% shooting LO, shooting Mm -hmm. limited optics, if I'm remembering correctly. There were some other matches that were kind of like this, like, yeah, he won, but, but there's kind of, there's the gapping is not quite what you would think there. And so it looks like he shot a really solid match here, but just, you know, he's he was down a bit. And, and I don't know what if they had other big issues in his match or not. Um, but that's going to be real interesting. You know, he's the defending defending national champion. I assume this is probably his last, last big match before Open Nationals. So, you know, how will he respond? How will he respond to this? Being sixth place here and then going to, going to open nationals here in a couple weeks well yeah. and he we'll gave up he gave up uh 60 points in the match on the two sort of gimmickiest stages on a balance beam stage and on um a double swinger fast over the top with half ipsic targets where okay one swinger goes above the other yeah um, where to be competitive on it you're taking them in not very many passes and you probably don't know what your hits are. You're just hoping they're on paper. Mm. Mike didn't <laughs> like that stage either. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, apparently Mike hated I that I did stage. have a Mike on that stage, but I called it. Uh, just didn't do anything about it. But right. yeah, I'm, I'm gone. <laughs> <clears throat> so yeah, so I mean, yeah, if there's 60 points there, that, that bumps them up and, and puts them really close if we're playing the, the IFSIT game. So well, but no, but you're you're right that he's I I rate him very highly, but who is he been shooting against versus this is the last big major before open nationals and so you have a lot of people who wanted to, to come out and sort of see where they're at, I think. Um so. 
Yeah. It's just, it's really hard nowadays. The, there's so many divisions, the talent spread out so, so wide. It's really hard. Even area matches, you almost kind of have like a division where it seems like we'll have quite a bit of heat. And then the other divisions are all just, there's maybe one or two horses, but you're just not seeing a lot of divisions with heat. You have to really know what you're looking for in results to kind of gauge who's doing well. And I, I really wish it wasn't that way. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Well. Yeah. For you see sure. that, uh, you see that Joey finished ahead of all limited optics and carry optics shooters. As he overall. has many area matches this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But limited optics has been picking up more heat as of late. But I mean, significantly higher in the overall than than the winner of which was Shane Shane Coley in limited optics. I'm looking at that right, yeah, he won limited optics, and Joey finished at ninety percent in the overall, ninety point three, and Shane finished at eighty six point seven. Yeah, so and if you look at something a little bit interesting, if you look at the points percentage too for both the open and the limited shooters, they're going to trend a little bit lower than you would expect. And that tells you a little bit something of the character of the match. Yeah. That Major was rewarded a lot. I mean, we saw that at Buckeye this spring. Yeah, where, where Major, if, if you set up enough partials where people are happy to take two Charlies, then, yeah. Um, then you create but, a lot of... But, but they're, not, they're not difficult to make shots. They're just high-risk Charlies. So, you know... You're gonna you're gonna see the Shane shoot two Charlies, same speed as Joey, mm. despite the dot. And then second place limited was Michael Ganera, which I haven't seen him shoot many matches. I haven't I shot seen his with name him. around much. It was a ton of fun. Did you? Yeah, he's he's sporty. He yeah. From I what mean, I remember, he, he rages pretty hard. Yeah, him and Paul Kerr are they I, they love to rage. The actual sound of his gun going off, nobody else on the range sounds like it. When there's close open yeah. targets, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. I, yeah. I think you guys had Paul Curran like a long time ago. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but it was yeah, such a did. good episode. I think I listened to it like several times. Um, and I was like, and then I watched some more videos of Paul Kerr shoot, and I was like, yeah, this guy is <laughs> so wild. And it's awesome. It's yes. not even like getting stuff. And he's like, and I, I think he did really well at, at like a limited net. I mean, he's 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 shot super well at a whole bunch of matches. Limited mm-hmm. single stack. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched and, a lot of elevens and twelves in real time splits on open. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of elevens and twelves. Yeah, that's that's in, insane. In but like honestly, like the way Shane has been shooting this year, I would have expected Joey to beat him. Like that's not really a surprise, because Shane has been Shane's Shane's percentage in CO is or well, I guess LO now. It's been pretty low compared to the Shane that used to be winning nationals. He's he's not he's not as competitive as he used to be for I don't know if work or whatever's going on with him. Uh, he's just not as yeah. not as competitive as he was, so yeah. that doesn't surprise me a whole lot. Uh, the other, I mean, um, uh, what's her name? Morgan Leonard? Yeah. Is, is that? Am I saying that right? 
so when she finished shooting, she technically had beaten Luke Cow for CO. But they were. <laughs> she was ahead by 65 ten thousandths. Yes. Okay. Listen to that. 65 ten thousandths. Practice score had them both at 100%. Like there was not a percentage difference. But yeah. you go, you're 65. Okay. So you're down to the third decimal place to be able to to differentiate hmm. their scores. And then score compression, somebody else wins a stage and she ends up, she ends up second. Very, 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 very close. Uh, so that was, that was crazy from a, oh, I'm sorry. She wasn't second. I, I'm sorry. Well, no, 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 yeah, at the end of won. day two, so, so at the end of yeah. day one, she's first. End of day two, Luke is now winning. Nobody beat him yeah. on day two, and she's now second. And then day three, uh, three people came came in ahead of both uh, her and Luke. Um, yeah, yeah. But for 24 hours, she was leading the carry optics match, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. 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 Damn. She's a new member of Team Glock as well. Correct. It's the uh, Team Glock uh, percentage bump that we all know about, that thing? Yep. Uh, yeah, it has to be. <laughs> well, and she was registered in the match in open because she's going to shoot open for Glock in, in two weeks. And then oh, switch wow. back really? to optics. Mm. Yeah. That, yeah. I, that, will be, that will be fun to watch. Uh, I that, mean, probably they're... just shooting with her CO gun, right? No, or no. The... Open guns. with a block. So I oh, mean for open. Yeah, yeah I'm not you sure. know. Um, and then I heard Joey Joey Sauerland's going to shoot open nationals with his limited gun, which is going to be is. cool. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. I think he's going to actually going to do surprisingly well. He's going to make the super squad for sure. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I feel like I would not be surprised. I mean, uh, right? I mean. For area eight, he's ninety percent. He's he's nine and a half percent off of June Kim, who beat some yeah. really really good shooters that shooters that will contend for for nationals. So, yeah, he yeah. very well could could play really well. Might depend on the match a little bit with what what they have, like if the targets are further out, which they they might be or whatever. Who knows? They yeah. should be. Well, it's a CMP though, so for a lot of those bays, they're not going to be that far. Hmm. True. They they don't have a ton of ton of space. Uh, so yeah, good for her. And Potato now is on a zero match streak of not getting beat by a girl. It's so true. that's gotta that's gotta start over again. <laughs> it's been zero, it's been zero days since I was last beat <laughs> by a girl. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't think of a better person to, to, to beat me. I mean, she shot such a consistent match, penalty free, um, you know, in, with a competitive time. She destroyed the balance beam stage, which honestly, everyone under the age of 18 with hip mobility should destroy a balance beam stage. <laughs> Those of us over the age of 40 without hip mobility, we struggle. Uh, yeah. You've ever seen yeah. a drunken, if you've ever seen a drunken penguin fall off a plank? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was my stage. <laughs> yeah, she seems. Uh, I've only observed her on on the range. She seems super polite, super nice, and 
she's like 16, 17, 17 like maybe super young, super good. So it'll be, it'll be great to watch her and the Williams sisters duke it out. Uh, you know, they seem to be really competitive with each other. So her dad beat me at this match too. So I was beaten by two generations at the same. Family. Oh man, that's rough. Well, I mean, he's, he's really good. I, I mean, he's, you know, he often beats her at a lot of matches. He's he's a really he really solid shooter. I don't think he's going to much in the future. It yeah he he may have that may be lessening uh, as time goes on, but he's he's a really solid shooter too. From just just seeing in results what I've seen. So and then yeah. limited when when uh, John Browning was there, and so was Nick Reynolds. Nick Reynolds was the defending Area Eight champ from previous year, right? Was it last uh, year? It was it two years ago? It's one of those. Yeah, maybe it was last year. Yeah, Nick Reynolds beat a whole bunch of people in limited. Yeah, right. Browning looks like he had one stage with three mics on it. That probably hurt a bit. His, his... It was a. It was the three first stage, but he didn't get a procedural, so at least he shot at it. Well, that's that's good. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, and Joey, yeah, he won another area match. So he's only one he hasn't won. He was second at. So he's had a heck of a year. And, and your boy in production, Sal Luna, who we consider very highly, he phoned it in this match. He won without breaking a sweat. And I don't know if that was intentional or happenstance, but. He did not gap a field that I would not expect anyone in there to be within 15% of him when he's on this game. That was, no offense to the many people who were within 15%. Right. Of him. But just on yeah. historical evidence. Right. Uh, I bet he was just like, I can go in here and, and win it. I don't need to do anything unnecessary. And but he, typically he ha- when someone says that, they shoot really great points, and he shot 89% of them. Yeah, I mean it's that's actually I mean it's really interesting because uh, this is the first match I've seen Sal shoot in a long time. I don't know that I've seen him shoot anything since Area Six. It's been a while since I've seen Sal shoot a match, so may just be a lot of rust there. I don't, I really don't know. But you, you are right that there's did he did he just play it safe and do do enough to win or? Or what? And that's that's kind of again that's kind of what our discussion of the talent gets spread out, and you don't have somebody there pushing him in production. It's hard to really know what how to how to rate that. Yeah, Mason and Phil were yeah. signed up until a, a week out from the match. Yeah, I kind of was expecting to see them see them at the match. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe they, they got busy with something flu. else. Maybe they maybe they had the stomach flu and it hit them earlier. <laughs> so, all right, Jeff, you got listener also, questions? Uh, I do. Before we do, though, let's give our shout outs. Oh yeah. <clears throat> oh, sorry. Shout outs and show sponsor, um, Shooters Connection, sponsoring today's show. Longtime sponsor of the show, so thank you to Shooters Connection. If you guys need anything shooting related, gun parts, range equipment. Uh, they even got some guns over there. I think they're selling MPA guns. Um, so head over there, get your shooting stuff. Use the link in the description. Uh, let them know that we sent you. 
So they're doing same day shipping and uh, run by people that know the sport and support it. So we definitely want to support them. Thank you, Shooters Connection. Also, we got a couple of shout outs here from our Patreon group um, podcast shout outs. We got Billy, Billy McScrublord shouting at himself. <laughs> uh, shout out to uh, at Mac and Pood. That's his Instagram handle. He says he's the number one ranked highest autism score ever recorded in the Hit Factor Discord. Successfully infiltrated the podcast recording studio, and he did. He did. He he made it onto the recording. You guys didn't see it because I cut it out, but he somehow <laughs> he somehow got in here on the last one. <laughs> and he is also correct in that he was the number one highest scoring autism discord member because there for a day everybody in the discord was doing the freaking autism test it's only because i didn't take it but either i would i would have won that yeah. <laughs> right right yeah yeah he's the number one ranked of people who took it which i mean it was an impressively high score so i am curious if that was an actual score or if he was going for a high score. I think I think there was a going for a high score there is what I think. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I think mean, it's it was disappointed damn... that he didn't max out one of the variables despite it, choosing yeah, it was it was damn near a perfect score, honestly. Um Yeah, and then if that's possible. John Yeah, and uh, then John, John Jay Headland shout out to he wanted to also shout out Billy McScrublord, aka Mac and Pood, uh, for being a meme lord, which he is that as well. He's a, a man of many talents. He's need impressive. a face swapped. He's he's your go-to guy. Yeah, exactly. He yeah, face swaps really. my face on literally everything, including Norris. Angel Park's face. Yeah, yeah, Angel Park's face. <laughs> <laughs> So there's our shout outs, show sponsors. Thank you guys. Thank you all for supporting the show. We do appreciate it. Helps us do some cool stuff. All right. So let's get, we got time for like a question. Let me pick a best one here. Uh, All right. I like this one. Here we go. Y'all ready? Yep. And we'll we'll all answer this one. So we'll go. Uh, we'll let Jeremy answer first, then Jay okay. and Potato. Okay. All right. Neither my grip, trigger control, stage plan, nor draw is holding me back. My problem is that I just don't hold steady. I've listened to every hit factor and half of them twice. I don't think the topic of sight steadiness and how to improve has ever come up. What exercise improves one's ability to hold the gun steady on target and in transitions? So, yeah, what are, what are your thoughts on that question and answer to the question? Jeremy, go. Well, yeah. I mean, this question probably came in before the last couple episodes because... <laughs> We did talk about it at least on the last episode because this—I mean—it is an issue for me. It just like just holding the gun steady through through the trigger press and through recoil, and 
if I had a fix, like, hey, do this and it will fix it, I would be happy to give that. I don't have that fix because that's still still an issue for me. We talked about it a little bit earlier today that when it works well for me is somewhat just accepting that it takes time, like it, like accepting that each target takes a certain amount of time and just, and just mm-hmm. not trying to just get through it as fast as possible. That that sometimes helps for me. Uh, I, I wish I had, honestly, I do wish I had more. Like there's, I mean, there's obviously there's drills you can do. You, you can set up and do doubles drills or something like that. Uh, dot drills can help with it. You know, I've done a lot of those and it doesn't make it permanent for me. So I wish I could, I wish I could give the guy more advice, but if you're getting everything else right, then then you should be able to put a focus on just put a mental focus towards hey just hold steady do you have and i'm gonna ask this just because i feel like this is kind of what the question was asking um do you have anything you do or focus on specifically for like a really hard shot and sight steadiness to like try to get your sights to settle on a hard shot so if it's a if it's a really hard shot i this is this may sound crazy. I go to almost a surprise break. Like if it's if it's a really hard shot, I'm not I'm not like pulling the trigger as soon as I see that. I'm just holding the gun and I'm just slowly pulling through the trigger until it goes off. And it sounds kind of crazy. Like you can do that in a pretty short time frame. That doesn't have to be something that takes forever. But on a really tight shot, that's what I'm doing. I'm not hmm. trying to time up the the break or anything like that. So interesting yeah that's kind of what when you read the question i was thinking of of like it it's got to be i interpreted it as there's a hard shot and then there's the sights moving around and i can't get it to stop on the like that's that's what i was thinking okay um and so then it so then it becomes like consistently practicing just holding the gun still enough and then breaking the shot like so so then it would just be like shooting groups which is something that that i kind of got away from for a little bit and then noticed that i should get back to it you know so it's like let me shoot groups so that i know how to like just accept the movement in the sights like because there's going to be some and this is something steve anderson always talks about in this podcast people listen he's like he'd bring up the brian Enos thing that's in the book like I forget what the steps are to shooting good groups, but you know, like work on that skill, like trust that like a little bit of movement's okay. And then the surprise break thing. and just understand that you have that skill and then just working, working through that. Cause that's, that's where I was kind of taking this question um, is what that meant. And, but then how do you do that? And cause you need like some kind of sense of calm throughout your whole body to do that. Cause if you're like really tense and you're like now surprise break, it's like, it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, uh, something I was doing in dry fire was like drawing to a really close target and like smashing it. And then, and then letting my tension kind of calm down and then making a really, really precise shot, like on mm-hmm. like a simulated piece of steel. That's just obnoxiously small and really far away. Um, yeah. And then doing that a whole bunch. Yeah. So. Uh- in light of 
Jay may be interpreting that question way better than what I was interpreting it. Maybe I was just reading my own issues into it. Uh, just like can't hold steady on a on a hard hard target. Obviously, I don't know the guy's age or anything like that. There could be an issue of just core strength, muscle strength. I, you know, I just because I like I really don't know. So like if there's a if there's a core issue, then maybe like maybe some core exercises could be really helpful helpful to you from that. Um, and then you somewhat have to accept the wobble, like, like if it's yeah. a really tight shot, you're, you're going, when I say I go to a surprise break, like if I have a 50 yard target, I am going to go to that knowing that I may very well may have to shoot more than two. I'm going to go for a surprise break on my first two shots and I will call those either on or off the target and, and fire mm-hmm. more shots if necessary. So you go to a surprise break and it really becomes a just calling it where it lifts and accepting that, hey, if this targets, if the shot's that hard, I may have to shoot again. Okay. You guys have much more sophisticated thinking than me. So, and and I'm not to dismiss your question, Brad, which is how I read how you've written your, your name, but I don't think all of those other things aren't holding you back too. I'm sure they're all holding you back too. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a, I'm a big believer that like nobody's ever done with anything in this. Like every time you solve a problem, you're like, oh good, you know, now I've, I've got more accuracy than I need in this game. And you do a bunch of other stuff, then that thing deteriorates or it's just out of balance with the other stuff. So I'm sure the other things are holding you back too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but psych studying this is interesting to me because I don't have a lot of insight on that because I have so many problems and that's not one of them it's that I'm very good at hitting things, iron sights or red dot. If all I want to do is hit the thing, I hit the thing. My problem is I try and stack other things like hit the thing and immediately transition, hit the thing quickly twice, hit the thing while moving, like hit the thing and then transition to an activated target. So I stack other things on top of it. But like Jeremy, if, all I need to do is hit the thing, then my body automatically slows down enough if it's important to me and I hit it. Um, and so I don't know how to develop that skill because that's a skill I came to practical shooting with. I didn't come to practical shooting with shooting things efficiently. I came to practical shooting with like hitting things when I wanted to hit them. Um, and I did a lot of group shooting and I even did a season of bullseye, 22 bullseye, old NRA bullseye and it's you know i wasn't great at it but it's great for you know exactly you know shooting iron sights what it looks like to hit the thing Mm. and you know how much of a little figure eight your hands can be doing and you know you're stacking shots despite what the sights are doing so if if it's the sights are moving there's acceptable wobble zone like you know there's acceptable movement and if you have tremors or you have like a, a neuromuscular condition, then like what's acceptable will vary. And like, if, mm-hmm. you know, if you're, you're older or you've got other sort of, you know, bodily things going on, then your acceptable zone just changes. But up close, I, I don't need any sight steadiness. And in transition, I have no idea what my sights are doing. So I see in your question, how do you hold the gun steady in transition? If I'm transitioning correctly, I have no visual information from the gun because after I break the shot, all of my attention is on the next thing I'm shooting until I have sights to aim again. Um, Mm -hmm. And so 
the time to shoot the next shot, again, I don't make this choice all the time, the time to shoot the next shot is once the sights have arrived. So the, like the steadiness in transition, it can go away. Like the sights may as not it may as well not exist between the target. So again, maybe I'm I'm just misinterpreting that. But if it's like the actual wobble, group shooting's great because you figure out, wow, like it can move this much and I can aim at a paster at twenty yards and they're all within an inch around that paster and they're within an inch in, in a random order. And you're like, okay. Like with with iron sights, like that much wobble doesn't affect like USPSA actors. Yeah. Mm. All right, you guys done? Depends what you say. <laughs> you got to answer it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I'll, like you just heard, there's so many different ways to answer this question. Um. In the beginning, neither my grip, trigger control, or stage plan, or draw are holding me back. Uh, so one thing that I would think, I'm just going to give a couple different things. Um, grip. You might be trying to grip the gun super hard, and you might be mm. shaking it. Um, so that might be something you play with. Maybe you're over-gripping. Uh, maybe it's just taking too much effort. Um, another thing could be breathing. Uh, something I actually picked up from watching videos of Joey shoot, which was super interesting. In his videos, right before he engages in a ray in his videos, he has a very audible exhale. And uh, so that might be something you mess with. Run real hard, exhale, shoot. That can help with steadiness. Um, another thing is... Something that Juanzek has been talking about a lot lately, which is his fuck us focus stuff. <laughs> um, that is for, I have found that to be probably the most interesting thing for sight steadiness. So, and that's on transitions or long shots, is just like really trying to drive your attention into a specific spot on the target and not bringing your focus to that site when it comes into the picture because that's when i'll waver a lot it's like i'm in a transition i'm looking where i want the gun to go but as soon as i see the gun my my attention focuses to the gun and then it's like i can't get it to stop on the target you um, should try red you... dots it's like that only 10 times worse because they're yeah. bright and shiny <laughs> so keeping that focus on the target really helps steady that site and make it go where you want it to. Um, and I have found that to be very helpful lately on long shots and transitions. Transitions a lot, like unbelievable. So those would probably be my, my top things to that question. Yeah, without seeing a video of this person shoot, like I'm sure we could watch a video and then be like, oh, okay, well, no, you have like 10 other things you should prioritize first. Or maybe that's not the case, but you know, it, it's hard to it's hard to answer a question like that for sure. Yeah. I, I kind of want to ask them, and presumably they listen because they've listened to all of them, what they mean by site steadiness. Because yeah. that also, I think they have a technical sense of that. And anytime we use technical language, any two people have different understandings. It's, yeah. it's like focus, uh -huh. right? Like why we get, when some people say focus, they mean like how their eyes are converging. Some people mean where their focal depth is. Some people mean what they're thinking about. Some people think what they're paying attention to. So. I don't yeah. know what anyone means when they say focus. 
No That's clue. why I think Quantic started saying vision focus um, to mm-hmm. differentiate from all these other focuses. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that stuff is pretty... That was probably pretty helpful for me because I was, I was kind of struggling with the same thing. Like, especially on, like, transitioning out to, let's say, like an 18-yard mini, mini popper. Um, trying to get the gun to freaking settle on that because I don't, I don't do the surprise break thing. Like that's not something I do. So, trying to get the gun to to settle on that so I can break the shot is always very challenging. And I found the like really focusing on that target and not trying to bring my focus into the sights once they come into the picture helps me keep the gun a lot steadier and helps it go where I want it to go a lot faster. Well, before before you end this, um, I wanted to bring up one more thing that that you guys talked about a little bit in the last episode about because I've just seen even some more stuff about, and it's not even the same instance that we're talking that that was referenced in the last one about like disqualifications and stuff like that and just unsafe gun handling or one eighty breaks, mm-hmm. and and this is something that because I keep seeing it. I just saw it on another video where people were talking about, like I was disqualified from this match and it wasn't put on, it wasn't put on themselves first. It was, it was put on the, the match staff as like to blame. Yeah. And, and and so then I, I see that and I see it all the time and it's really frustrating because, and you brought it up, Jeremy, I think you, you, you talked about it. It's just like, when that happens, there's something that you did to make someone concerned enough to say stop. And so I think it's just like, if that happens to you, then look at yourself first and and analyze that first and then make a correction if, if necessary. And generally, like, there's some correction to be made. Like, even on a, like, if it's a reload and you flick the gun totally sideways on the reload. Yeah. Like. Yeah. If that, because most people do that a little bit, and I was just even watching my own video on dry fire, and I was like, ah, that's a pretty good flick. Like, if I'm going to reload in that direction, I should turn my shoulders and then then smash the button so so that yeah. the, like a noticeable flick in that direction or whatever yeah. it is. And it's just like be obviously safe. I think a, a, a podcast that Ben Ben Stegger did like years and years ago. He was just like, I'm going to do everything so obviously safe that that no one has an opportunity to disqualify me because it just looks so safe. Yeah, and you, yeah. and you people like you can pick them out. Like they're very safe on the range. They look very safe. Mm-hmm. And there's other people who yeah. are very competent, but, but there's things that they do that aren't, that don't look safe. And so it's just appear to be very competent and safe. I think that's, yeah. and put it in yourself first. And so I think that's just a good lesson for everyone. It's a good reminder for me when I keep seeing this stuff. And also, I'll add to that, keep that in mind uh, with other penalties that you can accrue, like not just disqualifications, like, for example, foot faults. Like, Mm -hmm. if you can avoid, like, getting your foot anywhere close to touching outside, that's way better than, than you touched outside the line right after you broke the shot. Because now that RO has to make a call and they might give it to you and what are you going to do? Like, make it obvious. Make it obvious that you did not have a football. I need uh, to learn that I've lesson. I've done that. 
that I I don't need to put if I don't have to put my foot on the fault line, I shouldn't put my foot on the fault line. If the yeah, stage exactly. designer doesn't make me do that to get to the target, because yeah. often I do that because it's a very convenient like reference. Like oh, I'll run over there and put my foot on the fault line, and that therefore I'm there. And then of course if you know my shoe hangs over the ground built up or the fault line sunk or whatever, I'm now at yeah. risk of a foot fault. And if I don't have to for the stage purposes, it's like, why don't I right. then put my foot just inside the fault line? And yeah. it's not like this stuff causes extra time to your stage, you know? And I, like, it just doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, there's way less risk involved. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you, you bring up something I, I, that, I, that I don't think we did bring up that, like if you get DQ'd for for whatever, and your first reaction is to go to social media to com- to blame somebody for that, like that that is a problem. And yes, there are ROs. I think anybody will accept that there are ROs over there that you know they got notches in their timer. Basically, they're looking for they're trying they're, they they want to see how many people they can DQ. There's very few. There's not a ton of those in our sport. Like the it's there. It's always going to be there. Like there's always going to be bad umps no matter what. But I think, I think we've gotten, we've gotten such a culture of complaining about the board and the organization that then we have also, we've also lumped all of the ROs into, well, they're just, they're just board subordinates. And so then they're just out to get all the shooters. And I, I just don't think that's the case. Uh, we need our ROs. Like, let's be as nice as we can to them. I- I've certainly gotten into it with ROs in the four that I thought have made 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 bad decisions and and done poor jobs, and that's probably not been some of my prouder moments. But we need ROs. Like, we we're getting fewer of them, and most of them are getting older. And so, if if they make a call trying to keep everybody on, that they think is keeping everybody on the range safe and your first reaction is to go to social media and tell them what a piece of crap they are because they kicked you out of their match like that's not going to be good that's not that's not that's not good either uh like yeah. so there's there's other ways to handle that and in a way that's maybe mutually beneficial for everyone so i, I do like your point of not look look at fixing yourself before you fix somebody else. That's kind of a good general rule in life. Maybe Jay lives by that. Maybe I should live by that more. Well, but I, I know, I know from experience, it's really hard to do <laughs> all the time. <laughs> you don't want to do it. <laughs> no, no. Like, I had I, this in my head, um, stage planning. And then there was a stage with a lot of DQs. So I had it in my head doubly yeah. at, at area eight, but I had this in my head. It's like, okay, where are people getting DQ'd? Why are they getting DQ'd there? What can I do where there's no question, where mm-hmm. no yeah. judgment is involved? It's like, okay, I'm bringing the gun in here, and I'm drop-stepping out of here, and there we yes. go. Relief, relief from the perspective of whoever's running the timer, like, oh, good. We don't even have to not even. Well, you can't even see it. It's in front of my body now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm pulling the gun all the way in. It's like, you have no idea which way yeah. the muzzle's pointing, because all you see is my back. Uh, we're good here. And. But, Man, but I, know I, can, that... I can do that at every match. I don't need to, to wait for there to be an issue. I can sort of, the same way as I stage plan anything else, look for, hey, yeah. where would I put myself at risk of being promoted mm-hmm. to paster? Yep. Yeah. 
And I know that a lot of people aren't as focused on like the competition, like winning matches and everything, but I lump all that stuff into like I want to win matches, right? It's like if I'm DQ'd, I can't win. So when I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about winning, I'm thinking about okay, what's uh how can I make this so obvious that I'm not going to get DQ'd? And I'm doing that because I want to win, not just because I want to finish the match. Same with the foot fault. How can I make this foot in an obvious good position so I don't get a penalty because I want to win this match? I don't want penalties. Mm-hmm. I just kind of lump it all in there together. Like, I want to do everything perfect because I want to win the match. Yeah, this could apply to everything. It's like, I want to like uh, there's a really close target. I want to hit two alpha on it because I want to win the match. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. but it would be, that would take too long, Jay. Can't we just slap two Charlies <laughs> near it? Yes, yes. <laughs> when you're raging, you don't care about those two alphas. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Two alphas on close targets, man. Nobody ever won a match by shooting two alphas on close targets. No. no. <laughs> I think Eric Roffel said that. Yeah, yeah, Rick. <laughs> Uh, all right well that's uh thank you guys for coming on thank you for jay for waking up from your nap to come on we greatly appreciate that i'm sorry for having interrupted it hopefully you can get back to sleep i'll go right back to sleep no i'm gonna i'm amped up for another hour and a half i can't go. Uh, that's you can dry true fire you can dry fire that won't that won't keep you amped up either i'm sure potato i hope I hope your plumbing is all fine in your house and your kids don't get norovirus. Uh, if you if you came away from Area 8 with with uh, gastrointestinal issues, uh, Potato's number is 875-320-6748. Uh, give him a call and you can deal with whatever you want to and tell him whatever you want. Someone call that number. 875-309. <laughs> All right, it's been good. It's been good, guys. Thanks for listening. That's where Jeff says peace, and then he says stop recording.